Welcome to Nutria Performing Arts Stories. I'm Dwayne Burkhardt. My guest today is animator, voice actor, two-time Emmy and Peabody Award winner, and man who was genetically engineered by God to play every Viking role ever written in the TV and movies, Audu Payton. Welcome to Nutria Performing Arts Stories. Oh, thank you, Dwayne. It is a pleasure to see you on screen. It's been a long time. You haven't changed a bit. Oh, that, is, that is very kind and, and probably not true. But so normally with guests, I want to start in with right away with Nutrier. But in your case, I want to take just a minute and go a little farther back because I think that your early life is is also important to who you were at Nutrier and then and and who you are today. So you were born in 1963 in London, but you spent most of your early years in sub-Saharan Africa. When I was about three weeks old, we, we traveled uh, through Europe, took a tramp steamer around the west coast of Africa, and then 1,100 miles inland to the old city of Kano. Kano is a, a walled city, not unlike ancient Greek city-states, and the emir of Kano is named Audu. So when my parents were getting ready to have their baby in London, and technically I'm a Cockney because I was born within the sound of the Bow Bells, the language books that they were using, Audu was the name of the boy, sort of the C. Dick, C. Jane type books. Mm -hmm. So as a nickname, they called me Audu, little Audu. And then when I got to Nigeria, uh, it was such a novelty to have the palest child within a thousand miles uh, with the whitest <laughs> hair being named in their mind after the king that it just sort of stuck. And then um, I was there for my first few years. We were in an auto accident. <clears throat> tremendous story we were going around this mountainside in this little volkswagen and it was deep tarzan-esque rainforest in the southern part of nigeria and the road had washed out the car rolled i was thrown out the window my parents were both injured my mom was unconscious my dad was unconscious they were rescued by an italian doctor who worked for unicef he took them back to the closest city the next day my dad woke up and said where's the baby they sent Nigerian army troops back to the wreck where they found me crawling around happily. My younger sisters are convinced that, in fact, their true brother was traded for the ape child you see before you. <laughs> so, um, not unlike Harry Potter, I am the boy that was not meant to be and somehow survived. But I was sent uh, from there to live in New Mexico with my grandparents. My grandfather was a colonel in the Air Force, just retired, and he lived up in the mountains above Santa Fe with the Indians. He had a campsite up there, and every night... He would bring out the beer that he'd cooled in the stream. The Indians would come down and he would tell stories by the fire pit with shadows on the cliff wall on the opposite side of the stream. So earliest memories are storytelling and cross-cultural experiences. And so then from there, back to Nigeria, back and forth. And the thing about Nutrier that, among other things, is so special to me, it was the first time I lived in one place for more than two years at a time where I got to really kind of plug in and make friends and make the sort of contacts and find find my creative tribe, the people that like you, I'm still in touch with today. Yeah, that is that is amazing. I I, I just I, I know because I've seen some of the pictures of you from uh, from your early years and it is it's always some village with a group of African children or adults. And then there's there's the one lone blonde white kid in the corner. And so. How do I guess with all the things you just said, how do those early experiences and like growing up in that environment inform how you interact with with people, you know, when you like as you got to Nutria? Well, there's a couple of things. Um, one is it makes you always the stranger in a strange land. It makes your you know, your eyes open. It, it turns you on as an observer because you're always seeing new things. 
um, you know, when I got to New Trier, um, I think the problem was being a, you know, 13, 14 year old, I was 14. You know, I'm, I'm so desperate to reinvent myself as we all are at that age. I might've come on a little bit too strong. I was used to being dropped into, you know, strange places where you have to kind of demonstrate personality to be noticed, to be found, to be meaningful. So um, I think, you know, when I got to Nutria, everyone else has sort of gone to junior high school and been with each other for, other for a long time. And maybe I turned it up to 11 or 12. And for those of you that are still remembering that way, I officially apologize. <laughs> well, let's talk about Nutria now a little bit, because you've gone on to do some some pretty incredible things. I mean, you've worked for Sony, Warner Brothers, Nickelodeon, the Cartoon Network, Mattel, Hasbro. So I want to talk about your experience at Nutria specifically and how that experience in the sort of professional training and apprenticeship environment that the performing arts department had in our time, how that prepared you to go on and do, you know, the things that, that you've been able to do. I think I, I owe my career and all of my success to a couple of very lucky moments and some extraordinary teachers at Nutrier. Uh, for me, a precipitating moment was um, I wasn't in theater my freshman year. I was, uh, I was a fencer on the fencing team, but I was always, you know, dynamic and theatrical. That that sort of was the character. But I uh, was in gym class and broke my hand. I broke a few bones in my hand and I had to drop out of fencing. And at that point, just sort of on a whim, I'd signed up for Toby Nicholson's uh, sophomore acting class. And then when he knew that I was free, he kind of took me aside in the hallway and said, I'd like you to audition for a play. I've never done a play you know what, I think I'd like you to audition. And it turned out that the play was The Remarkable Mr. Pennypacker. So I went from zero to a very heavy, um, you could say a lead role in that play. Although the nice thing about that play was everyone talked about me for act one and I didn't have to show up and then I make an entrance. <laughs> Best possible way of, of starting your theatrical career. But, um, you know, it's some extraordinary people I got to work with, you know, uh, Mary Ryan played my wife and it was just... She was so seasoned and, and you know, it's just, it was such a, a comfortable environment. Toby was a terrific director and I just, I just glommed onto it. It was a, you might remember it was a huge show. It was about a, a bigamist who has two different families and one family, of course, um, unfortunately they lose their mother. So they all show up in the town where the other family is. And it's a great show for, for high school in the sense that you've got about 30 kids, a bad show in the sense it's about bigamy. Uh, so, you know, he's got to sort of make peace with all of the different kids and all the different families and so forth. So it really was a meaty role and there was a lot of things to sort of get your teeth into. And I loved it. And I had so much fun and, and you know, I made so many friends in those first few months, there was no going back. And from there, I went on to do uh, Little Mary Sunshine in the spring with Kathy Pingle Powell. And, you know, that was it. Uh, the My was first out. theater teacher, Kathy Pinkelpaul. Yeah, she was terrific. And uh, uh, once again, in the spring, I, I, I broke my arm. I think it was during a, a cast picnic carrying, I can't remember, it was uh, one of the girls in the cast was on my shoulder. We were playing chicken and, and fell down and there goes my arm. So I was in a cast during the entire performance. So every time I talked about Yellow Feather the villain, I'd rub the wrist uh. thoughtfully as if he'd huh. done the job. Um, and then, you know, from there, it sort of bloomed. And uh, you might remember that between junior and senior year, I got hired at uh, Marriott's Great America. I was in the music hall show. Right. Welcome to the music hall. Great America's showcase of young yeah. talent. Up in Gurney, well, Illinois. Yep. Gurney, Illinois. Five yeah. shows a day, uh, six days a week. 
and I got my first apartment. I was 16 and it was like, you know, living, living the grown up life. And then, you know, back to high school after that, where I did um, uh, Music Man and various other stuff. But I was really focused on the acting class, um, Mrs. Adams. You know, I was really starting to get into you know, how do you prepare? You know, what is, you know, not just the surface, but what is character and, and how do you prepare as a director? And I think at that point, I was also doing a lot of auditions in Chicago. Which, which, by the way, I should I should note at Nutrier they encouraged us to do. I mean, we were we were okay. regularly going downtown to do auditions for film and TV and stuff. And oh yeah, I was I was all the time. But there was one point where I waited eight hours in line to blow my nose into a Kleenex for a Kleenex commercial, and I thought, you know what, I'm on the wrong side of this camera, so I want to learn more yeah. about. <laughs> and that was also a pivotal moment. So you know, the, the way that uh, Mrs. Adams taught me to prepare a script to to do do my notes on the side still to this day decades later this is exactly how I, I get a script i'll i'll xerox it onto a larger piece of paper and then just all my drawings and doodles and staging you know romeo and juliet what if it was a balcony suddenly we're di we're using diagonals to to stage things so all of that that sort of initial training that i got uh, from mrs adams i still use to this day and i think about all the time so um uh, extraordinary experience. And again, um, the professional experience at Marriott's where, you know, you, you, the show must go on. And it was month after month after month. We had probably five to 700 people in the audience, um, you know, most performances, because it was a lot of moms who wanted to just rest their their weary feet from the amusement park. Um, and then when I wrapped up at, uh, at Nutrier, it was on to Northwestern University, where I was an interpretation major, which is um, performance studies. And so what that basically meant was, you know, it was sort of acting, but I also got to be um, doing what, you know, you do now when you do an audiobook, where you're playing all roles. Because I saw that as more of a directorial sensibility where I am um, steering the relationships between the characters and I'm also the narrative voice. So that piece I really enjoyed. I started doing some of that in uh, high school you know, for some women's clubs around the North Shore where I'd go and I'd do a reading from, you know, some piece of literature or another. And so I really kind of glommed onto that and thought that was terrific. But I knew that what I really wanted to do was direct for the stage. What I didn't know that I'd end up doing was directing for feature animated films and television. But of course, you know, when you, you have a job where everything you've ever learned in your life leads into the choices you make every day, somehow it seems like kismet. Yeah, it does. Um, a couple of weird things that that you and I have in common, I didn't realize that my first director was Toby Nicholson as well, uh, in kind of a, a similar circumstance. And and uh, and Suzanne Adams, who comes up in literally every single one of these, <laughs> Suzanne is going to be our guest here in a couple of weeks, and I am just super excited about that. But um, we are talking with Adu Payton, and uh, we will be back in just a moment. This episode of Nutria Performing Arts Stories is brought to you by I Relieve You, Sir. The life and times of Lieutenant always happens on his watch, Burkhardt. A sometimes harrowing and often hilarious collection of U.S. Navy sea stories by Dwayne Burkhardt. The book is available on the Kindle Vela platform. Go to Amazon.com slash Kindle dash Vela. That's V-E-L-L-A. And remember, at Kindle Vela, the first three chapters of every book are always free. 
And we are back. We are talking with a multi Emmy award winner, Peabody award winner, Gemini award winner, and just all around good guy at Nutrier, Audu uh, Payton. Audu, a quick question, easy question. Well, it, it may not be an easy question. It's an easy question for me to ask. Favorite performing experience at Nutrier and why? I think it would have to be Little Mary Sunshine because that's where I had to learn to sing. Yeah. And that I, was the one that, 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 uh, that Kathy Pinkelpile directed? Is that? Yeah, because yeah. you know, my first experience, uh, of course, was Toby Nicholson with uh, Penny Packer, which was about acting. It was about interacting. It was about you know reacting, and it was with a great cast. But I had to, to really stretch myself as a performer uh, with uh, Little Mary Sunshine because you know it really was a strong role. It was a parody of the 1920s, you know, Mountie rescuing the girl versus the villain type stuff. And it was, you know, it was very warbly and it was very kind of, um, of, of a time. And the but moment you I, say I, Mountie, we know why you were cast in the role pretty much right there. <laughs> Had the look. You and I will. <laughs> uh, Seven little tear wells unbid into my eye. But because of the singing that sort of led to, um, you know, I, I actually, I had some skills and I was able to develop them and people like, uh, uh, Chuck DeSablon, uh, his mom was also, uh, I think it was a music teacher, but he took me under wing and just kind of really helped me out on the side. It was like, there was a lot of pe people who were kind of older students who were helping me. And I got, I took some, um, singing lessons again that year for the first time, but that got me the job at Marriott's Great America, uh, which then of course, in my college years, uh, I did mostly musicals. Uh, in fact, um, Sheldon Harnick, who wrote Fiddler on the Roof, he uh, previewed his um, musical about Stalin, which was sort of a set as a fairy tale called Dragons at Northwestern University. And I had the lead in that show. And it was a very heavy role. I had like, 10 songs and I, the Broadway people were coming out to watch the show and so forth. So, you know, there was a, a whole chapter of my life uh, where musical and musical theater was sort of the dominant. In fact, it was pretty much all that I was doing for a long time. And I think none of that would have you know, started in the same way if it hadn't been for Little Mary Sunshine. So uh, and this is not on my list of questions. So I'm going to throw I'm throw you a little loop here. But I, I, Little Mary Sunshine was that in Gaffney or M182? Uh, 182. So so and that, I'm I'm glad you said it because I thought that was the case. And here's, here's what I'm going to ask you: Which theater did you prefer to perform in? The big stage. Really. For me, having been sort of born at you know, with a magnifying glass on top of me that always projected 120 percent, the big stage felt more organic. Oh, interesting. Interesting. All right. So this is the part of the show where I get to tell you what I remember about you uh, at the time. So first, I need to note that without question, you are universally the most liked person in the performing arts department in our time at Nutria. I literally know no one who doesn't love you. But the thing thank that you. I remember about you- I don't believe that, you, but thank you for saying that. <laughs> That's just true. Um, but the thing that I remember about you was that you were you were a leader among us. And it, was, it wasn't about you. It wasn't, you know, hey, I'm Audu and, and I'm in charge and I'm telling you what to do. Or it was more like, hey, I think we could all do something really cool and fun together. Who's with me? And everyone was just with you. And I have two specific examples. They're pretty similar that sort of reinforced my impression of, of you in, in my head. There was a day, and this would have been winter of 79, 80, during one of the four lunch periods that we had at Nutrier because 
it takes that long to feed, you know, thousands of kids. Anyway, you came into the main cafeteria, which again, for anybody who doesn't know the size of Nutria, this seats like 600 people. And you came in and came up to the area where a bunch of the PAD kids were eating and talking. And you said something like, hey, a bunch of us are going to go out into this area, which was the, that little weird space beside the cafeteria before you get to the interior entrance to Gaffney, where there's a step in this kind of this weird spot. And, you know, we're going to play some improv games and we need more people. And people just immediately reacted to your invitation and, and followed you out and, and we start playing. And then a few months later, when it was much nicer outside, you similarly managed to gather a frankly much larger group of us. And we essentially took over the outdoor amphitheater uh, that was over across from Gaffney um, in front of the main athletic building. And that day there were, I don't know, there's at least 50 kids and and probably more, and and a bunch of other kids who weren't even theater people who were just there and got lunch and a show, uh, kind of out of the experience. Yeah. yeah, and it was just amazing. It was just this incredible group of really talented people building little improv scenes together. And it wasn't like you know you did that alone or anything, but it was your passion and enthusiasm and inclusiveness and the the flat out joy that you took in gathering others with you that 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 was sort of that was my vision of what an upperclassman should be that was what a leader does that's what a mentor should be and that is what i remember about you that's that i had completely forgotten that you you've opened up a file of memory that's been closed <laughs> I started um, going to a lot of theater in Chicago and and seeing stuff at Northwestern. And, you know, I saw some great improv, you know, practical theater, which you know, Julie Louis-Dreyfus was part of and her husband. Um, and I was trying to bring some of that energy back to our school. And, you know, having, you know, been a um, Boy Scout and leader, you know, it was sort of natural to step up in front of everybody and say, here you, here you, gather around, let's have some fun. Yeah. Do you, do you remember that day at the amphitheater? Do you remember that? Yeah. That was yeah. absolutely, an, it was a complete blast. This very organic, incredibly creative feeling. And you get to be associated with that because you're, you were, yeah, you were the, you were the Pied Piper, the ringleader kind of getting everybody together. So. And, and still do, you know, as, as I start a new show uh, nowadays, sometimes I've got, you know, casts of 30, 40 people, uh, you know, before COVID, you know, we would often record our movies, our TV shows in, in an ensemble way. And it's the same sort of thing. It's sort of, you know, like the conductor tapping at the podium and saying, you know, here's what we're bringing and let's let's find that chemistry. My job, I always say, is to be a catalyst for other people's excellence. And hopefully it started back in the trigger. I, I would say it did. So and 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 right now, what's what's your uh, I'll let you plug whatever. What's your most current project? What are you doing right now that's really got you excited? Oh, there's, uh, I think, being a brand new grandfather. I've got a three and a half month old right. grandson who lives just down the street. And adorable. We've seen adorable. pictures. Adorable. Lots of fun. Um, I just finished up uh, a two-year project for Hasbro, a uh, high-end CGI fantasy uh, project. Uh, before that, uh, just before COVID hit, I was working in Tokyo on an anime series. Um, and then another sort of Dungeons and Dragons transgender 2D series. Uh, before that, um, nine years at Mattel, where I developed uh, Monster High, among other things. I was the executive producer on the Hot Wheels projects. I did a year of live 
action, educational TV. But for Monster High, um, it was kind of a real triumph. I, I started that at the very beginning with a series of 90-second comic webisodes where I sort of um, took girls' fashion and applied it to my Looney Tunes Warner Brothers experience. Um, I was a director at Warner Brothers for six years where I wrote and directed on Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain. Um, I got uh, my break by answering an ad in The Hollywood Reporter and found myself working on The Simpsons at the very beginning. I, I was a storyboard artist. Some of you might remember I was a cartoonist in high school, but I really yeah. developed that after that. Um, and I started doing uh, storyboards for uh, live action. Actually, it was between my junior, it was uh, yeah, between my senior year and uh, college, I worked as an intern in television. And um, that's when I really started pushing storyboards to sort of more live action direction. Um, and then I did storyboards for commercials. Um, and then I got into animation and then I got to Warner Brothers where I was working with guys who'd been on Chuck Jones and Fritz Freeling's crews in the 1930s. I learned all of these really are great 2D ar arcane skills. Uh, from there, I went to Sony Pictures where I produced um, Ghostbusters and uh, Godzilla and uh, Starship Troopers and got into CGI. I did nine years as a producer at Sony. Uh, and then a couple of years at Nickelodeon, where I was doing sort of back to back to the funny stuff again. So I've been sort of jumping all over the place. But uh, basically, I turned big pencils to little ones, try to make kids laugh. And with Monster High, um, we had. Um, and Monster High is coming back, correct? That's the. Yeah, they, they just this weekend, they premiered a, a new batch of that, uh, which, of course, is sort of a generation after me. But we were in. Um, a hundred different markets. And the core message of Monster High was about uh, racism and about accepting others. Because because in some ways I've never left high school. I have done now uh, Ever After High, Monster High. I've spent 12 <laughs> years, I've spent more than 12 years in high school after in high school, school right. you know, as, as a writer remembering, you know, in fact, if you look at the Monster High stuff, you'll probably see a lot of incidents or moments you remember because i was always pulling from memory on on sort of plot ideas and so forth we ended up doing 250 shorts we did 12 feature films um and so you'll you'll see a lot of yourselves in in that stuff i, I will really now have to rewatch and see if i see myself anywhere there I'll... it was all about you see the other on the outside they may look like a monster but on the inside the other is the self which is of course the sort of stuff we would learn from mrs adams right well, one of uh, one of many truly amazing and wonderful stories uh, from Nutrier, and uh, so Audu Payton, once again, we thank you very much for your time today, and uh, wish you absolutely all the best in the future. Thank you, sir. It's a pleasure. Till next time. Cheers. Nutrier Performing Arts Stories is a copyrighted production of Narratives Incorporated. It is written, directed produced, and painstakingly edited by yours truly, Dwayne Burkhardt. For more information, or to suggest a guest or sponsor for our podcast, please email info at NutrierPADStories.com. And join us next week, when our guest will be actress and Second City alum, Janet Vandegraaff. Thanks for listening. See you next time.